This is an ABC podcast. Coming up here on Sporty, always on the hunt for new forms of enjoyable exercise, I'm going to learn to apply the five D's of dodgeball, which are dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. This is slightly terrifying. (laughs) Uh, You'll get used to it pretty quick. There's nothing like a ball coming at you at 100 kilometres an hour to make you get out of the way of it. We're in already. (laughs) So we wait for him to throw and then we can run, rush at him Mm -hmm. and hit him on his way back. And once you do get used to it, it's pretty good fun hurling balls at each other in an organised sport sort of way. More on dodgeball later. Hi, I'm Amanda Smith. It started with such a bang and ended with a whimper. The first 20 years of this century, as far as sport goes, began with all the joy and optimism of the Sydney Olympic Games and finished with empty stadiums and cancelled events. Across Radio National, we're considering the Big 20, our century so far. So how has sport and the way we experience it and what we want it to be changed over these 20 years? Titus O'Reilly writes about serious matters in sport with a comic touch. His latest book is called Cheat, the not-so-subtle art of conning your way to sporting glory. And Emma Race hosts the podcast The Outer Sanctum. Emma, let's start with the Olympic Games, since these first 20 years did begin so magnificently with the Sydney Games and ended, well, without the Tokyo Games. Over that time... And, you know, even without the pandemic postponement, are the Olympic Games a bit on the wane? Well, it's funny you should say that because I do always look forward to them, but I haven't missed them, which is a really surprising thing to say during a global pandemic. I could have done with any kind of entertainment. But I think the rise of globalisation of sport and my access, as everyone would have, to sports from around the globe at World Cup level or even just at, you know, IPL or whatever it might be, the access that's been afforded us through new platforms in broadcasting means that I have access 24-7 to some of the world's greatest sporting events. And I still love being on this side of the world and getting up in the middle of the night to watch them. I always feel like I'm part of something. But I think it's not just about the platform and the access to sport, but it's also the legitimacy of the governance of Olympic committees, I think, have also, you know, at times put a little bit of a dampener on what used to be a world party. Well, Titus, what's your view, uh, particularly on how technology and globalisation are changing our feelings about how special the Olympic Games are? Because, you know, those things technology, globalisation are changing the way, as Emma said, we can consume sport? Well, I think all sports now operate in a global marketplace that used to not exist. You know, summer was for cricket, winter was for Australian rules football or rugby league, depending on what state you're in in Australia. And that was basically it. I can remember as a kid 
we were into baseball as well as other sports. We had to go buy Baseball Digest monthly, and it was two months old to find out the scores. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that was how you used to follow. And now you could, you know, as Emma says, you can have any NBA game or WNBA game on your phone in five minutes. Um, so the specialty is gone and it's saturation of sport. I think the Olympics, as scandal riddled as it has been in, in recent times with the Russian doping issues, it, it's just no longer that standalone event that the idea of having 24-7 sport for two weeks like it used to be is every single week now. Mm, yes, so I think that's not been special the big anymore. Change. Yeah. Well, Emma, one thing that I don't think we would have dared predict back in 2000 would be the rise of women's team sport, uh, particularly those traditionally regarded as men's sports, so soccer and cricket and AFL and the rugby's. How far in these 20 years has women's team sport come in your view? I'm getting goosebumps just when you mentioned the, the the rise of it because back in 2000 I was a sports fan but I never dreamed that I would see women's sport elevated in the way that it has been, especially in the last 10 years. So, you know, seeing women actually demanding pay parity and having a global audience to be able to have those conversations that we know Billie Jean King started all those years ago when I was just a baby has really invigorated a, a movement for women and girls all across the world. And, you know, Serena Williams has been a really massive icon in the last decade. And to be able to bring a different conversation to the sporting field, and I think with that has also meant that more women have been making their way into commentary boxes and coaching boxes and boardrooms. And so we see the impact of women in sport across the board. And, and we're doing pretty well in this country to really promote gender equality, which we, of course, know has these beautiful flow-on effects for, for women and girls and for, and for men and boys as well. So I would never have dreamed it. You know, it was only 2012 when Sally Pearson was overlooked as sportswoman of the year in this country because it was given to Black Caviar, who was a horse. Mm. And, you know, that feels like it wouldn't happen anymore. And that's a great thing. Well, Titus, will true parity be reached when um, women's sports have the same number of high-profile scandals and cheats as the men's, you know, say when women's cricket has its own sandpaper gate? Well, I think, I mean, definitely in the world of cheating, we've seen that the women can match it with the men. They're, they're not quite up there with the, the drunken behaviour on Mad Mondays, and I'm disappointed by that. I'm confident they'll lift in the foreseeable future. I mean, <laughs> women's sport in Australia has been probably the most refreshing thing in the last 10 years, seeing it come to the fore, but also how quickly previous perceptions start to fall away. When I grew up, women's sport wasn't a thing and, and no one really talked about it, that it wasn't even a thing. <laughs> and so to see it come full circle and to see the way at a grassroots level it's absolutely reinvigorated footy clubs um, is the the big demographic shift that any sporting organisation that doesn't embrace this is going to be left in the dust, I think, over the next 20 years. As far as cheats go, though, Titus, staying with that because that's your topic du jour, um, the greatest rise and fall of an individual athlete over this 20-year period, it'd have to be the bloke who won the Tour de France seven consecutive times, wouldn't it? Yeah, Lance Armstrong's definitely been the biggest story in sport. I mean, there's a lot of feel-good moments in sport too, but in terms of 
really highlighting the dark side of sport and shaking a lot of faith in an event. It's definitely Lance. And, and not only the way he cheated, but the way he went around defending that. But, you know, the year before, he won his first one in 1999. So in 98, the Tour de France was beset by the Festina affair where almost half the field got arrested for performance names and drugs and their police raids and everything. And Lance didn't race that year but watched on and saw it as a how-to guide, not a not a warning. So that's been one of the interesting things in sport is as it becomes more professional, you're now seeing this temptation to protect these people for a long time, but eventually the truth comes out. Yeah. Well, Emma, there are athletes who abuse the system, but what about the system that abuses athletes, that's come to the fore, I think, over this time. For example, in women's gymnastics. How and why has that happened, would you say? I think this has been one of the biggest moments in the last 20 years in sport is the USA gymnastics sexual assault conviction that Larry Nasser faced. This was the team doctor, the women's gymnastics team doctor over that time. Correct. And, and that it was a systematic and institutional grooming of an entire cohort that went on for decades and I think the power of it was the number of victims and the power of their voices the power of their story of being disbelieved for two decades really and I think in the end it was that good journalism and supportive journalism was able to connect these stories and it meant that it was so compelling when we saw over a hundred victims on the stage at the ESPYs being given the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage in 2018, but also that the current best gymnasts in the whole of the world were standing amongst them. So to see Simone Biles standing up there Mm. with these women just gave so much power to the moment and it will actually change institutions that have got away with so much predatory behaviour but also really dodgy power dynamics that have been in sport for such a long time. And it's really given athletes a voice and a platform to to be heard and it's been a wake-up call for uh, committees, communities and, and sports all around the world and I think there's been a lot of scrambling that's happened in the wash-up and it can only make it safer for children and parents to get involved in sport. So I think to blow the whistle on this has been an enormous change in sport and just demonstrated the power of being believed. Well, Titus, would would you say, would you see this as part of a, a kind of wider and uh, growing political awareness of athletes that we've seen over the last two decades? You know, their willingness to take a stand on matters that are that are outside even of sport, you know, Black Lives Matter, for example. I think athletes now what's changed is because of social media, they're now much more their own brands. So before it was done through spokespeople for teams, it was done through the media, which was very controlled and very owned by some powerful people. Now we're seeing people like LeBron James, I've seen Serena Williams make comments, of Williams, I've seen a whole range of athletes now will put their political views out there. And I think it's also just easier for them to do it. So it's, it's not just that they're empowered, but they've also got real access. So you see it even in smaller ways, not always around protests, but a journalist will publish a story and two minutes later, the actual athlete themselves comes out and says, I was not even asked about this story and it's kind of mm. completely untrue. And that's just a power that has not changed. And, and often that's being used to uh, advance um, various political views as well. 
All right. Well, Emma Rayson, Titus O'Reilly, let's let's finish this uh, discussion with remembering some best and worst moments. Titus, what's your lowest low point in sport over these 20 years? I think if we go globally, it would be the Lance Armstrong story, but probably more locally, I would say it's probably the Essendon drug scandal, you know, in terms of an issue that has gone on and on. But I think even today, the fans and the sport itself have not really grappled with the outcomes of that um, and it's eight years on now. Yeah, the ripples continue. The ripples continue, it comes up regularly and there's a, there's a, no one really knows what went on in a way. So it's on faith whether they think it was a complete scandal of planned doping or it was a series of innocent mistakes and an administrative problem. Mm. But the reality is the code in the sport have not wanted to face up to the reality that 34 of their players were found guilty of taking banned substances. And if that was happening in any other country or a lot of other sports, that that would be, you know, we would treat them like pariahs. And here it's never been fully accepted as that's been the actual outcome. It's never been believed. Well, they're Aussie rules footy stars. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Emma, what's your lowest low point? Oh, look, it's hard to go past the rise of betting ads during sport. It really grinds my gears. Uh, but I would have to say being an AFL lover, uh, a lover of, of football, the treatment of Adam Goods has never, I've never been able to shake that and I've not liked what it has said about us and I always want sport to be the place where we, you know, put on our best and we look our best and I don't think we really responded there. No, although it is also sometimes the place where we put on our worst and look our worst and that prompts a wider change. Oh, that's true. And I would love to see that wider change. Unfortunately, I feel like the conversation again has, like the Essendon scandal, has stalled. So I feel that that's a great shame. All right. Well, Titus, what's the most glorious, marvellous, memorable sporting event for you over these 20 years? There are so many that I could have picked, but in terms of, I think, feeling at one with all Australians and just feeling the excitement over the following days and weeks and months was the qualification for the 2006 World Cup by the Socceroos. It was 32 years in the making of being out of the World Cup, the painful ways we had lost in the build-up to it, and then just this exciting finish and this, this sense that the game was away in Australia and uh, we were going to do great things and then going into the actual World Cup and doing well itself. So to me, that that was the one that I remember having been the most elated over. Mm-hmm. Emma, what's your personal top sporting event of the century so far? Do you know there was a week there where Ash Barty was number one and so was Sally Fitzgibbons in surfing and Hannah Green had just won a first major in golf and that was a pretty big moment for Australian women in sport. But there was one night, it was February 2017, and specifically it's Carlton playing Collingwood in the first game of the AFLW and it was a lockout. And I just felt that standing there at the most beautiful local ground in my neighbourhood and seeing people hoiking each other up to try and jump over fences and trying to rip open gates to get through to be there, people standing on top of rubbish bins and knowing that the captains had to say to their teams, we can't hear each other over the crowd noise. It was a moment I never thought I'd live to see and I ate it up with a spoon and I think about it regularly and it's my happy place, Amanda. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, for me, I think I'd have to go back to the start and say Kathy Freeman winning the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics. It was, well, it was a great achievement in and of itself, but also for what it represented at the time. But you've taken us on some highs and lows, you two. It's a wild ride through the first 20 years of this century in sport. Emma Race hosts the Outer Sanctum podcast. Emma, it's a pleasure to have you join us here on Sporty. Thanks, Amanda. And Titus O'Reilly is a writer and performer. Sport is his subject. Titus, thanks for your wit and wisdom. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> and it's Amanda Smith with you here on Sporty. Hey, have you ever seen the movie Dodgeball? It's a comedy sports film from 2004 with Vince Vaughan and Ben Stiller. And looking for another way to get some enjoyable exercise, I'm going to try actual real-life dodgeball. I'm heading into an indoor sports centre looking for Luke Price, who's a former national team player and coach. There you go. Hi, is this a dodgeball? It is. Hi, and I'm, I'm Amanda. Luke. You're Amanda. Luke. Hello. Let me have a peek. All right, so there's a game underway. Shall we um, go and have a squeeze and uh, <laughs> I'll see what's what? Maybe we can get you on court. Yeah, sure, absolutely. We may just have to wait until they finish this set. Okay. Um, how vicious does it get? It can get pretty intense. I mean, at a social level, everyone's pretty well there to have fun, but these people still are looking to beat each other. And I noticed it's mixed. It, it is men and women. Yeah, absolutely. Men and women on the same court. Because it's a non-contact sport and there is a halfway line, um, no one ever crosses the halfway line. There's no risk of a big, burly bloke crushing a woman. Um, it is one of the, in my opinion, the best things about the sport is that guys and girls can get on the court together and have fun. So we're going into the court. Perfect timing. They're just uh, swapping. They've just stopped the game. They're about to start another one. So. Oh, great. Okay. This is full on. I reckon I've got a reasonable working knowledge of most sports, even fairly obscure ones like um, underwater hockey and Spirey and Trugo. But even though dodgeball isn't obscure, it was after all the subject of a Hollywood movie, it has sort of passed me by until now. It's time to try dodgeball. So Luke, first of all, how does this sport work? What happens? Well, basically you line six balls up on the middle line, each team rushes in for their balls at the start of each set and uh, it's just a series of throwing the ball back and forth until you eliminate all players from the other side. And you eliminate players by hitting them with the ball? Correct, or catching. So you can hit them on the full with the ball or if you catch a ball thrown at you, uh, they are out as well and it brings someone from your team back on. So it's played on a court, sort of like a, is it like a basketball court? We played on um, sprung hardwood floors, but it is a volleyball court, and so 18 metres by 9 metres. And how many people are on a team? Six players per side. So what sort of balls are they, and do they hurt when you hit with one? <laughs> to say they don't hurt would be a fib. If you get hit in the face at short range, they could definitely uh, 
hurt you, but it is a, a foam ball that's covered in a latex skin. So they weigh about 150 grams and they're about seven inches in diameter. Um, so that's a bit smaller than a soccer ball? Yes, smaller than a soccer ball. So from what you're describing, this is a bit like a game I vaguely remember the boys used to play at primary school called Brandy, where everyone lined up and someone else just had to chuck a tennis ball until they hit someone, and I don't think you could dodge from that. Do you remember that? I think we called it poison ball when I was at school, and it was a similar thing where there was one tennis ball and it was thrown around, and when you got hit with the ball, you became the thrower, I think. So this is a sort of a derivative of that, I suppose, in a more formal sense with teams and a larger, softer ball. Yeah, it does tie back into that schoolyard basic throwing, getting out of the way of the ball philosophy. So when and why did you take up dodgeball, Luke? About five years ago, a friend asked me to fill in for his dodgeball team and I laughed at first, as everybody does. Why does everybody laugh? because of the links to the movie it is a hilarious movie so I mean obviously your initial instinct is to be like get out of here but as soon as I stepped on the court I was hooked and I went from filling in to being on the team to playing four to five nights a week to running the National Federation. But is that how a lot of people get inspired to start with the movie you know it's a classic sort of um hopeless sports team triumphs against the odds story, isn't it? A kind of screwball comedy. Well, a dodgeball comedy, in fact. Um, Yeah. In this particular sport, it is possible for people that aren't necessarily athletic to still have an impact in the game. Why is that? Throwing is a very skill-based movement. You don't necessarily need to be the tallest or strongest or fastest to do it well. And it's the same with catching. You can be a heavier set person and stand your ground and, and take the weight of a ball hitting you in the chest. So you just got to be able to throw and catch, basically, to play this game. <laughs> yeah, and, and be able to get out of the way of the ball too. Is is there an advantage to being able to throw with both hands? Yes, uh, in that your opponents have no idea where it's coming from. There are are a couple of people that possess ambidextrous throws um, and it's it's pretty terrifying. You? No. (laughs) No, I haven't perfected the left-handed throw yet. I'm trying to work out what's going on, Luke. Well, uh, this team has lost three players and the other team still has six left in, so they're not looking in very good shape at the moment. Um, But because you can catch a ball, which takes someone off their team and brings someone back on on your team, anything can happen. So what what do you like about it and how does it compare to other sports or physical activities you've done? As a kid I played pretty much every land sport available and I was always okay but I always got to the point where I I never would push myself to excel past slightly better than average Um, and with dodgeball because it is in its infancy you can sort of come in as a beginner and you're already sort of have a base skill set I guess that utilizes those fundamental movements. So what's the fun of it though? There's there's no part of it that's not fun. I think being able to exact revenge on somebody who might have got the better of you in the last point, like the immediate um, payback is something that a lot of people get a lot out of in dodgeball. (laughs) 
because it's a non-contact sport, you get to sort of exert your frustration at being hit out in the last set by throwing a ball at somebody. So it's a really good way to let off steam at the end of the day. It's also a staple of the social leagues to have music playing whilst uh, the games are going on. And you might notice if you if you look carefully at the back of the court, some of the players dancing at the back of the court too. <laughs> the the lady in the, the navy blue top, she's got a little bit of a finger click going on. She's got a groove happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good to feel the rhythm. Okay, so what are the strategies? Of dodgeball. Throwing together at a single target is a good basic strategy. Wow, so what, four or five of you are ganging up against one person? Well, if you really want to stick it to them, yes, you can do that, but it is also a good strategy to hold on to some of your balls. So ball retention so that you can defend yourself in the next play is also important. So you maybe commit two or three at a time. Oh. What happened then, Luke? Um, so, the affectionate term for a person who is on the sideline passing balls back onto the court when they roll off the court is called a shagger, which is a very Australian term. Uh, the Americans called them ball retrievers. Boring. Um, and what happened just then was the shagger tried to pass the ball to a player who threw their ball straight into the ball. Uh, the balls collided and obviously his ball was then unable to hit their, uh, the intended target. There's a lot of dodging going on right now. The fifth and the first D of dodgeball. <laughs> the five Ds of dodgeball are dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. And that comes from the movie? 100%. And do you use it in the, in the league here? To say that we don't use the five fundamental Ds of dodgeball would be a lie. A lot of the more serious players kind of try to steer away from the stereotype of the movie but obviously it is genuinely a pretty good guide to how to go about playing the game. So what are they again? Dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. <laughs> it's really only four isn't it? <laughs> well it sort of emphasises the dodging I suppose doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, so now it's time for me to get on the court and have a go at dodgeball. Right, so uh, where do I go, Luke? I reckon this, the, the best spot for you as a beginner is probably right in the middle of the court. Let's oh, get right. over there. Oh, okay. Well, up the end, but in the middle of the row of six. Yes. This is slightly terrifying. <laughs> uh, you'll get used to it pretty quick. There's nothing like a ball coming at you at 100 kilometres an hour to make you get out of the way of it. Great. Yeah. Oh. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got to try and hit someone. All right, grab a ball. ball. Woo! Here we go. Okay. So. Okay, who left, am I going to aim out, at? Left foot out in front and yep. just give it all your weapon. Okay, who am I going to aim at? Let's though? get her. We'll get together. Which one? White. Number three, yes. The one on okay, the right. okay. Ready? Yep. One, yep. Two, two, three. Three. <laughs> yeah, nice work. <laughs> You're a champion of the sport already. 
One to go. Okay. He's got your name all over him, alright? Uh-oh. That was so close. Oh! Can I get thrown here? Get out of there! Get out! Oh, nice, Luke. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. We're out. We are. Oh, well, that was um, terrifying, but fun. <laughs> you can see what I mean, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that game's finished, and now there's a whole new bunch arrived to start another game. Yeah, I think we start games at 4 o'clock, and they run through till 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. So plenty of eager people to throw balls at each other. And there is an Australian Dodgeball Federation. Their motto is, be different, play dodgeball. Perfect. Sporty is produced by Damien Rabbit. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.